0: It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77
1: WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein. Good afternoon, everybody. Election Day was 11 days ago. It's hard to believe that it it was that long ago. You'd think all of us would have moved on by now, but God bless New Jersey, which has always marched to its own drummer. Jersey is still counting votes in a few races that are are still undecided. But the governor's race is over. Jack Chitterelli conceded his loss to Phil Murphy on Friday. That came two days after Senate President Steve Sweeney acknowledged that he lost his own South Jersey Senate seat after 20 years to a virtually unknown Republican named Ed Durr. And the Shiva period for Sweeney ended just a few hours before Shabbos on Friday, when Senate Democrats went to Trenton and they picked Sweeney's replacement, Nicholas Scutari. He is an 18-year senator from Union County uh, and the the longtime chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Uh, one of the things I always liked about politics was the finality of Election Day. Uh, it was uh, it was, it was a hard stop on campaigns. You you worked hard. You gave it your all. And and soon after, the polls closed at 8 p.m., sometimes right away. Sometimes it took a few hours or more. But but when you finally went to bed, there was a winner and there was a loser. Now things are different. That's not the way it is anymore. So, so here we are in the second week. And while 2021 isn't completely over... 2022 has started, and, and now so has the 2025 uh, race for the next governor of New Jersey. Uh, in Jersey, we always live in exciting times. Phil Murphy will be the governor for the next four years. He breaks a 44-year streak of Democratic governors of New Jersey not getting reelected. Uh, now, get this, Jack Chitterelli, who came extraordinarily close to becoming the governor of New Jersey, made it clear in his concession speech that he's going to run again in four years. So the 2025 governor's race uh, had its official launch on Friday and, and that is 1,435 days before the next election. Uh, there's still a few, a few things that are going to be happening. Uh, before Jack Cittarelli's name is on the ballot next. There's there's redistricting. That is that is incredibly important. Midterm congressional races. It, it could be New Jerseyans who decide whether the next Speaker of the House is Nancy Pelosi or if it's Kevin McCarthy. And of course, we have the 2024 campaign for the White House. Uh, New Jersey, I think, is going to make a cameo appearance in that race, too. Uh, the state's cartoon character in chief chris christie is mulling another bid for the presidency uh, that's despite being at literally zero percent in the polls uh, right now poor christopher is just busy trying to help steve Cohn find a, a new general manager for the new york mets and, and before you start laughing uh, i'm serious chris christie is in charge of the search committee uh, and serious general manager candidates keep turning him down. I mean, the, the, the guy's making a mockery of the Mets, maybe as some say he did uh, when he was governor. I mean, imagine if he were actually president and he couldn't find a secretary of state. I, mean, I don't have any idea who the Knicks Mets GM will be. Maybe it'll be Michelle Brown. I don't know. But, but set up a beach chair and Flushing, everybody, because this, too, will be entertaining. And, and I'm excited about today's show. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is jam-packed with some really interesting guests that you are not going to want to miss. Senator-elect Ed Durr, the Republican who ousted Steve Sweeney as Senate President. The new Senate Minority Leader, Teresa Ruiz, first Latina Majority Leader in New Jersey history. Uh, Republican Congressional Candidate John Henry Eisman, uh, who's running against Tom Malinowski in the 7th District. The Always enlightening editor of Save Jersey, Matt Rooney, and the person who knows more about every House race in the United States, David Wasserman. He is the senior editor of the nonpartisan Cook Political Report. And I promise you are not going to want to miss any of them. This is David Wildstein. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour and Talk Radio 77 WABC. I'm being joined now by New Jersey Globe political reporter Joey Fox, and I want to talk about the governor's race. Joey, how are you? Okay, I thought we I'm had Joey how Fox. Are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, Joey, how close was this governor's race between Phil Murphy and Jack Cittarelli?
2: I mean, it was definitely a hell of a lot closer than anyone, including, I think, both of us uh, really thought it was going to be. You know, it really, it came down to the wire. It wasn't something that the Murphy camp was certainly expecting. I think it was certainly something that the Cittarelli camp was hoping for, for it to come down this close. Um, I don't know if they were necessarily expecting it to be quite this close. But, yeah, it was definitely, it was a bit of a shocker.
1: And Cittarelli conceded yesterday. What did he say about the integrity of the count?
2: Uh, yeah, so he, um, you know, there hasn't been as much of a pushback against this election as there was in 2020 when there were, you know, a lot of false claims going out about the, um, you know, vote fraud and things like that, that just simply weren't true. This time there have been very few of those, but there definitely have been some, and really addressed that. He said pretty explicitly to any of his supporters who might be thinking this was an unjust election or thinking he was robbed of the governorship that that simply isn't true. He's been pretty explicit about that even before the election um, and he really repeated that theme on Friday that this was this is a fair loss it was a, it was a tough loss but a fair loss.
1: You got kind of to admire Jack Citarelli for coming right out and, and and I mean he he said in his his statement that he was dispelling uh, you know online conspiracy theories. He said that the ballots were were tallied fairly, there's no evidence of voter fraud that he had he had no path to victory. So so Joey Fox what do you think Jack Cittarelli's comments might have any effect on the, the national political climate when people are, are thinking that elections really do get
2: stolen? I mean, I don't know. It, it's tough to say because um, I think one thing that this you know this sort of drawn-out process of the New Jersey governor, governor's race has caused is that, frankly, the national attention has moved on a bit. Here in Jersey, we're still really, really focused on what's happening with all these races, but I think that the national attention that was focused on Virginia and New Jersey last week is maybe a bit it's a bit past us. So I think that there was maybe a bit of an unfortunate thing there happening where last week everything was still up in the air. And this week when it becomes clearer and when Cittarelli is saying, you know, this, this, there wasn't any fraud, there wasn't any problems. Um, we're not getting the kind of coverage that we would have. There's not the kind of focus that there would have been. Um, so I certainly hope that it is a message that carries through the country. I'm not I'm not positive it is. And
1: I've been talking to New Jersey Globe political reporter Joey Fox on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Thanks so much, Joey. Thank you. Thank you. And the giant slayer in New Jersey is Republican Edward Durr. He's a 58-year-old truck driver from South Jersey. He ran an underdog campaign on a shoestring budget, and he defeated the longest-serving legislative le- leader in history, Senate President Steve Sweeney. Mr. Senator-elect, welcome. Oh, thank you very much for having me today. Well, thank you for coming on. And, and Senator, let me let me start by saying something. I didn't cover your campaign. Frankly, I, I didn't think you had a chance, uh, but I think the media ought to acknowledge uh, our own mistakes and, and and not just point out everyone else's. So I want to apologize to you directly for ignoring your campaign for state Senate.
0: Well, I, I appreciate that, but uh, it, it was not a shock that the media did not really focus on it because even Senator Sweeney ignored that campaign. He overlooked the challenge, and I think he was looking beyond the 25. So that was fortunate for me because I was able to focus on the people and listen to them and energize them to come out and vote.
1: And Senator, how did you pull this off?
0: Again, it was... Not so much that I pulled it off as the voters pulled it off. Uh, I I just was their instrument that they made their voices heard because it was the consistent lockdown of Governor Murphy and the failure of Senator Sweeney not to challenge them. When you tell people that they cannot go to work, they can't go to church, or they can't go uh, to a store and businesses were closed and children were placed in masks, and then you had the COVID-19 pay, you know, nursing home deaths that we still do not have any definitive answer because there was never an investigation. These, these things are about your inalienable rights, and nothing was ever done about it, and the people that want answers. You always want answers, and when Senator Sweeney chose not to even challenge He lost that election then personally, I feel, I think he personally, I've always, I kept saying, I felt he lost the right to run for reelection because he failed to do his job. And I just think, I'm just thankful that the people who came out and voted because we knocked a lot of doors, my team, we had a lot of great people on the team, you know, starting with our county chair, Jackie Vigilante, who guided us and then you had Steve Cush who
1: is the political director. And he is he is one one really advice. good consultant. So
0: he 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 has great advice and he kept us focused and just said, hit them doors, hit them doors. And then along with my running mates, Beth Ann McCarthy Patrick and Beth Sawyer, who also won assembly seats here in the third district. And then we have in Gloucester County two new county commissioners in Nick DiSilvio and Chris Conowell. And we also have the first African-American sheriff in Jonathan Sammons, who won in Gloucester County. And along with several other council seats and mayoral seats. So that this was a very, very strong showing here in South Jersey. I, I, you know, use the analogy of a football team. On a football team, you have your superstars and they Seem to get the limelight, the quarterback, the wide receiver, the running back. But it takes all eleven players to get that ball down into the end zone. And we to be quite honest, I still look at it as that we kinda came up one yard short because we don't have Jack Chitterelli as our governor. That was the one that hurts a little bit. But we're we're gonna we're gonna make it happen. And you know, I'm speak- we will I'm- keep changing.
1: And I'm speaking with New Jersey Senator elect Ed Durr. Senator, I mean, the, the, the last 11 days, you've become sort of an, a national sensation. I've, I've seen TV cameras on your front lawn. Uh, this has got to be a little surreal for you, right?
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I, I just could not imagine that it was going to be this national news. I thought, yes, it's going to be talked about the people who basically ignored me during the campaign are going to want to talk to me, but I felt it was more of a New Jersey thing. This has become almost worldwide because I have had emails coming from other countries and this is ridiculous. I I really, I mean, yes, it it was, it's a great accomplishment to defeat somebody who has all that money. And, and you know, in politics, it seems like the guy with the money has the advantage But I think the advantage went to the person who's in touch with the people. And I know I'm in touch because I am one of the people. I get up every day and go to work and I go to the store. Everybody else goes and I struggle to pay my bills. So I know what was going
1: on here in New Jersey. And and Senator, you met with Muslim leaders this week after some some old controversial posts appeared on your social media accounts after the election. Did did those meetings change your point of view?
0: Oh, I think the meetings were very productive. It, it was an an, an, att- uh, an ability to express to Muslim leaders that they have no fears from me, that I am here for the people, that they can come to me. And we're, we're we're going to have other talks, and we're going to continue, you know, to work together. Because as a New Jersey state senator, I will be an elect official. I will be an employee of not just legislative district three, but all residents of New Jersey. So it doesn't not matter what district you're in. You have the ability to call me and express your opinions and views, and I will listen to them. Trust me on that, that I am working for every citizen of New Jersey. It does not matter what race, creed, color, or religion you have.
1: It is my job to make your life better if I am able to. And Senator, we just—I just have a couple of seconds left, but but you 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 have certainly come across over the last two weeks is is extraordinarily authentic. Do you you think you'll always able to be Ed the truck driver?
0: Well, as far as driving the rest of my life, it's going to be a very difficult task to fit the two jobs. But I've worked two three jobs before in my life, so we'll see how that goes. But I know I'll stay authentic to who I am in my core base, because I have a great family, you know, and they keep me grounded. So I I, I am assured
1: that I will never lose that. Well, New Jersey Senator-elect Ed Durr, thank you for joining me. I hope you'll come back soon.
0: Absolutely. And if anybody else wants to find out more about me, they can go to
1: com and they can read more about me and they can help me if they would like. Okay. And thank, thank you. you for this opportunity. Good luck to you. And coming up next is the new majority leader of the New Jersey State Senate, Teresa Ruiz, so please don't go anywhere. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.
0: It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein.
1: Senator Teresa Ruiz. She's been a state senator for the last 14 years. I, I think she was just 15 when she was first elected. On Friday, she was elected Senate Majority Leader, the first Latina to ever hold the post. Ms. Majority Leader, welcome.
3: Thank you for having me, and thank you for the compliment. I was a little older than 15. Statutorily, we have to meet an age requirement.
1: Well, well, let's let's not state the statute on the radio. How's that? <laughs> I'm good with that. And, and Senator, you're. Your new position, this is a big deal. I mean, not just for Newark and Essex County and for women, but for, for people of color across the state. As, has the historical significance of the majority leader post that that you won yesterday, has it fully sunk in?
3: No, it hasn't. Uh, I, I think some of it has, you know, when I was sharing some comments with my colleagues right after the vote, you know, I, I tried to keep it together as best as I could, but I was trying to express Without getting overly emotional, what was happening in that moment not and it's not about me, right? It's about all the the young girls that see me in the space, all of my kids of color that never see themselves in different spaces now can, can make a connection in different ways that perhaps they never had an opportunity to do so before. And I don't say that solely in a vacuum. It's, it's just a culmination of a lot of things, right? When I think about my parents' experiences when they selected New Jersey to raise their family versus mine, and how I'm just one generation removed from a dad who only went to fourth grade and my mom who really defied the odds and got her GED when she was here. But because through the ed space, because I was the first to go to college, college, because I, I, you know, landed in this position, how I've had an opportunity to move up. It's a greater thing than just me. It's about a whole community that's moving with me.
1: And Senator, I know you I know your father loved politics and I'm, and I'm certain your dad and, and Steve Adubato, too, that they're 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 looking down upon you right now with just tremendous pride.
3: I appreciate that. We were all laughing um, because they, so I used to affectionately call Steve the old man and, and everyone was like, what do you think the old man would have done? I said he would have had a parade waiting right after I, I got home. So it's great to have that. I will tell you that the outpouring of love from everyone um, between the news finally becoming official yesterday and overnight has been just overwhelming and extraordinary and just a, an honor. Nothing has quite set in. I think, you know, the day that we're all in the chamber and, and the vote is taken publicly and we get an opportunity to express what our agendas are or what our personal experiences are, that's when I think it'll really just come into uh, fruition. But I've been very fortunate to be in a leadership position for quite some time and to be inside of the room when decisions are being made, as opposed to outside and having decisions made for us.
1: And I'm speaking with the new Senate Majority Leader Teresa Ruiz. She's the highest-ranking Latina in New Jersey history uh, in government. Senator, you, you spoke about you spoke about being in the room, but now now this is going to be your room, yours and, and Senator Nick gatari the new Senate President. Now now that you have this this tremendous influence over over the agenda of the state of New Jersey, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with it?
3: I I hope to continue to do some of the legacy work that I've been putting in, right? We have a critical crisis. Everybody focuses on the pandemic that that faced us and I've been calling attention to a pandemic as far as our public school spaces since I was first elected. So we have to keep moving um, that subject matter forward and elevating it. I think every single district now understood touch points that we used to talk about learning loss access to, you know, summer programming, extended days, et cetera, everyone became familiar with it, whether they were attending a high-performing school district or one that was in struggle and in need. Because of the pandemic, each one of us was faced with that. The thing is that it, it, it compounded some issues that some of our communities have faced for decades, and so I think that's still a critical thing. We have to stay focused on that. And I know that people get tired of me talking about the same thing over and over again, but when I get asked about taxes, when I get asked about the criminal um, A system in the state when I get asked about job opportunities and the health and and uh, you know places to live I always point back to education if we prepare a human being from the womb to career then we don't have to worry about any of the other ancillary things that may face that individual that we will have to pay for three times over if we make the investments properly with common sense
1: and, and Senator, we only have a couple seconds left, but I want to ask you quickly, Governor Murphy will fill four of the seven seats on the New Jersey Supreme Court between now and the end of his second term. Is there any chance that you will let him get away with not appointing the first Latina to the New Jersey Supreme Court?
3: I, I don't think that I'll be the only one advocating for that. Our message was very loud and clear when when there were spaces that were available he's made some wonderful appointments but now it is our time we have capable confident um uh, equipped individuals that can fill those spaces and look you don't have to look further than just looking at the census right look at the census and recognize that there are great things that are happening here that our voices are are are, are we're 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 echoing our voices much louder so that people can hear that we're here, that we're part of uh, the state of New Jersey, that we make it work. Someone texted me today, and I thought it was extraordinary. How is it? How wonderful it is to live in a country where you go to bed, a minority, and you wake up as the majority leader. That's great. That's,
1: that really is great. Majority leader to be Teresa Ruiz, thank you for joining me today. And I hope you'll come back thank soon. Thank
3: you so much for having me. Thank you. And this you is well. David.
1: Thank you. This is David Wildstein. You're the, listening to New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. And Republicans view one of their best chances to flip a congressional seat to be in Central Jersey's 7th District. That's where Democrat Tom Malinowski is running for re-election. One of the Republicans uh, looking to run there is John Henry Eisman. John, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, David. Thank you. And you're you're, John, you're you're new to the political scene. Why should people want John Eisman to be their next congressman? I think when I looked at this race a year and a half ago, looked
4: at this district where Malinowski was running, he was already one of the most vulnerable incumbents prior to his two Stock Act violations. When you look around the country, specifically in D.C., the political dialogue and policy is being led by young, dynamic leaders. But at this point, only on one side of the aisle. And now when we look at the five seats that we need to take back to flip the House across the country from Minnesota to Iowa to uh, Illinois, we're picking candidates that are not the pedigree tried and and entire politicians. It's a new wave of conservatives, You know, the same type of conservatives that Kevin McCarthy, Eric Cantor and Paul Ryan 10 years ago said are going to lead a red wave, which the red wave that came in 2010, we believe is going to come again in 2022. And that's going to be on the back of new candidates, new ideas, new energy.
1: And you have an interesting story. You're the son of a minister and a school nurse. You worked on Wall Street. You, you left to run a humanitarian mission in Guatemala. But you're, but you're 27. And I remember this from, you know, I remember this when I was running for office in my 20s a long, long time ago. What do you say when people come up to you? And I'm sure it's happening. They say, John, have you thought about maybe going on the zoning board first before you run for Congress?
4: Absolutely. I mean, the first conversa- one of the first conversations I had was with my local mayor. I sat down and said, look, I don't want to be the 27-year-old guy that moves in from New York back to his hometown and thinks I'm going to be a congressman. But I looked around New Jersey, specifically my corner of it, northwest New Jersey, and a place that has been conservatively represented and held for close to 100 years in Congress prior to 2018. We still have a stronghold in our assembly seats, our Senate seats. Even down to our town council and school boards, where three-quarters of our leaders are are on the right side of the aisle, our biggest underrepresentation since 2016 has been in Congress. And like I said, the leaders that are driving change there, the conservatives that are rising up, are are from the millennial generation, which unfortunately today votes five times more left than right. So when it comes to a congressional candidate in this district— Is there any better representation of what we need going forward than not just a representative of that generation, but a leader from that generation?
1: How much I'm speaking with John Eisman, a Republican candidate for Congress in in New Jersey. How much of this race do you think is going to be about Joe Biden and Tom Malinowski as opposed to whoever the the Republican Party nominates?
4: I think what we're seeing across the country is, is no calling card or no candidate is really safe, whether you're, you're running for something or against something. Um, just as the, the Democrats are, are, are running out of the, the Trump card to run against, the, run against Republicans, I think Republicans need to be prepared to not just run against uh, the, the failure that we're seeing go on in, in D.C., uh, the character uh, questions that are coming up uh, against our own representative here in New Jersey. But to put a candidate forward that uh, is not just copy and pasting a campaign or, or hitching their wagon for against another candidate or competitor, but running a race that uh, you know, has not been played out before, that before not aligned with anyone else's playbook, but their own and of their district. So my team and my race is going to be
1: really about New Jersey, our campaign and, and what we have planned for New Jersey. And I, I've been speaking with John Eisman, Republican candidate for Congress in New Jersey 7th. It's JohnEisman.com, two N's. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining me today.
4: Thank you, David. Talk soon.
1: Thank you. And I'll be right back with Matt Rooney, the editor of the fabled conservative political news site Save Jersey. And, and we're going to talk about, and can you believe this, the, the next governor's race. So stay where you are. You're not going to want to miss anything Matt Rooney says. And after that, I'll speak with the brilliant senior editor, of the Cook Political Report, the smartest guy in the nation when it comes to congressional races, David Wasserman. This is David Wildstein. You are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio seventy-seven WABC.
0: It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio seventy-seven WABC. Here's the Globe's editor in chief, David Wildstein.
1: Welcome back, everybody. Uh, we're we're about to get Matt Rooney on the on the line, and we're going to talk a little bit uh, more about what's what's going to be coming up in New Jersey. While we're waiting, I just want to let you know what we're what, what we're still uh, still outstanding. And, and that is that is we have we have two assembly seats in the 11th district, where're just a couple hundred votes uh, separate. Uh, separate a a Democratic incumbent trying to win a fourth term in a district where Phil Murphy lost by several thousand votes, but a Democratic state senator won. That was that was Vin Gopal. Uh, and then I'm looking at this race in Passaic County that is just I mean, it is extraordinarily tight. You've got a a Democratic county commissioner, a, a popular guy, John Bartlett. He is 11 votes behind one of the Republican challengers in a in a race I just didn't see coming. Demo- Passaic County is is, is fairly uh, fairly democratic, and and this is this is just an amazing race. Uh, uh, I can't see it. Is, is is Matt on the line yet? Yeah. Okay. Matt Rooney is the editor of of Save Jersey. He's hugely popular and influential. It's a conservative political news site. He's also the host of the Matt Rooney Show on Philadelphia's Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. That's every Sunday night from 8 to 10 p.m. Matt, how are you?
5: Great to be with you, David. I'm doing great. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, too. And, 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 and so, you know, here I am, I guess you too. Friday. We're, we're watching Jack Chidarelli concede to Phil Murphy. I'm, I'm a little selfishly thinking, okay, I've got some time before the 2025 race begins. And, and what does <laughs> Cittarelli do? He announces that he's running. What, why did he plunge in so fast? Well,
5: I mean, I guess it should be too much of a surprise, right? Because I think uh, Kim Guadano had barely conceded in 2017 when Jack Chinnerelli, who had lost her in the primary, said, "Hey, everybody, I'm giving it another go. This is clearly the guy's life's ambition." And I don't, I don't necessarily mean that in a negative way. I, I know Jack. Uh, I think he's a good guy. I think he really does think that he has solutions to make new jersey a better place but it's strategically smart too right um he currently has the perception out there in circulation that it was a very close race that he made it a close race um that he almost grabbed the brass ring making this announcement you know there are certain candidates that may get in this race who are going to have their own independent donor pools But if you're a random New Jersey state senator and you were thinking of testing the waters, who's going to donate to you when the guy who came two and a half points short last time is already in the race pressing his connections, raising cash? So I think he's kind of not necessarily frozen the field, but he's taken the wind out of a lot of other potential nominee sales, and it's not a bad move. Of course, a lot can change between now and then. We're going to have a presidential election. Between now and 2025, there might be an unpopular Republican president that's acting as unnecessarily ballast for the uh for Republicans trying to run that year. But I, I think strategically
1: it did make a lot of sense. And does Chitterelli have a I think he's the front runner, but does he have a lock on this nomination? No, I don't I don't think he has a
5: lock on the nomination. I think it's for two reasons. One, again, to give the dead horse one more swift kick. Um, there's just so much that can happen between now and then. And sitting here today, there's no one else that's as in good, as good a position as he is with the county chairman, with having the apparatus in place already to launch a campaign. Now he's got statewide what I don't think he had last time. He's got a ton of name recognition. But who, know, who knows what's going to happen? Um, you know, you now could lose I that
1: name recognition world. really fast, too. Four years is a long right. time with that. Right. Four years
5: is a long time. And I think that this is, there's another problem, David, that hasn't gotten enough discussion yet. You know, now there is this perception, and I've heard it from Republicans and conservatives outside of New Jersey, they're finally wising up to the fact that we're not as deep blue as advertised, that this is a state where Republicans can run and they they can win. It's not, It ain't easy, but it's possible. So is there some uh, rich guy or gal in North Jersey that was watching what unfolded this year and they were thinking about moving to florida but now suddenly they're interested in testing the waters themselves it wouldn't be the first time in new jersey politics so we don't even know what this field's going to look like so i think you got to say he's the front runner but in terms of saying this is a lock Way, way, way too early.
1: And you know, you you, you talk about whether whether New Jersey's as blue as people think it is. Anecdotally, I kept hearing reports: blue-collar building trades union members—they're on labor walks. There, the union said, "We need you to we need you to come and walk through," you know, several hours putting door hangers for Phil Murphy. Uh, but I kept hearing that those same union members, as they're walking around helping Phil Murphy, they they were saying they were voting for Jack Chitterelli.
5: Right. I, I'm speaking to you tonight on New York radio, but I'm I'm a South Jerseyan, a lifelong South Jerseyan. New Jersey is as democratic as advertised. That doesn't mean it's as leftist or liberal as advertised. And there's a real difference there. And to your point, David, there's a lot of Democrats that voted against Steve Sweeney. They gave him a pass before this election for a host of reasons. Either they thought that You know, he was good for South Jersey. It was nice to have somebody from what's widely viewed as a neglected part of the state in a position of power. They also thought maybe he was a moderating influence on the rest of his party. But, you know, let's put it this way. There's a lot of Democrats in this state that would feel just as out of place in Montclair as yours truly would. But even there, we have an example where Montclair actually bucked their own uh, ideological trend this year with some very interesting results. So –
1: you have to reevaluate it. And 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 I think I think you're right, which is which is I look at I look at the third district where Ed Durr, who, who was who was on your your show last week. He, he was just on a little while ago with me. And and you look at that area of Gloucester County and Salem and Western Cumberland, you think this is this is a Republican area. But but Democrats outnumber Republicans there that I think that's exactly what you're talking about.
5: That that's exactly right. Um, these are people who they vote Democratic primarily because they grew up voting for Democrats. Maybe dad was an electrician. The voter is now an electrician. They've always thought of the Democrat Party as the party of the working man, the party of FDR, John F. Kennedy. Of the hey, the party of Bill Clinton. Right, the era of big government is over. Well, that party doesn't exist anymore. So occasionally. And I think it's becoming more frequent. They're bucking the party line and they're finding themselves as working men and women more in comfort, more comfortable with the Republican Party. And when a politician like Ed Durr comes along that can give voice to that, I don't think it matters how much money you have if it's the right cycle. I think that that particular Democrat candidate is in trouble. So, you know, Virginia's got the Beltway. I think we have our I 95 corridor. That's what keeps New Jersey from being a purple state, but not as blue as advertised. And I think that that, again, bringing us back to our other conversations, what makes 2025 so interesting? Lots of ground to cover between now and then. But I think you're going to have a lot of people begin to take a second
1: look at running for office in New Jersey now. So let's let's talk about who that shortlist might be, be, be besides be, besides Jack Chitterelli. I mean, I'm thinking, thinking Doug Steinhardt, I'm thinking Mike Testa, Phil Rizzo, uh, Declan O'Scanlan, Kevin O'Toole, maybe even Ed Durr. Are there, I mean, what other names should we be looking at?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple other names that jump to mind immediately. I think Holly Schippezi, state senator from North Jersey. You know, one thing that's notable about your list, and I know my list, David, there just aren't a lot of women on those lists. Um, I think that that's going to begin to change for the Republican Party because. We're having a renaissance with female elected officials. Just this year, our Assembly Caucus got a lot more female. Um, But Holly Schiappese is a standout in North Jersey. She's popular. She's pretty conservative, but she knows how to reach across the aisle, which is important when you're coalition building. She could really be formidable. Somebody else who I think could make things very interesting if he decides to give up his own radio show is Bill Spadia. Um, NJ1015 Morning Host has a large morning audience um he recently started a uh, organization of his own the common sense club um they're having events i i don't know if he's going to give up his program that's a heck of a thing to leave behind but i wouldn't be shocked if bill spadia throws his hat in the ring in four years time and that could he, he may be uniquely positioned to win off the line um which isn't easy to do in new jersey politics but you know let's say hypothetically it's him versus jack Bill might have to. But when you have that kind of listener base, especially in central Jersey, when you're worried about the Middlesex County line, for instance, Ocean County's line, that could play into the calculus.
1: And now you're forcing me to ask. I'm speaking with, with conservative leader Matt Rooney, the editor of the political news site Save Jersey. Matt, I have, I, have, uh, I have been pushing for a couple of years. Why not Matt Rooney for statewide office? So, so why not Matt Rooney in 2025?
5: Well, let's hope it's not that desperate quite yet. But maybe, maybe <laughs> we're on our way. I mean, look—you know—I never say never with this stuff, right? And what I what I what I joke about with my friends is like, look, maybe there will come a day when I look at the field because, like you, David, I spend way too much of my free time analyzing New Jersey politics, and I say, you know what? We really we really need somebody that's willing to say the hard things that just too few politicians are willing to bring up. Um, I don't know if that's going to be 2025. I would also say that I've always, it's always meant a lot to me how much uh, respect you have for Save Jersey and the product that we put out there. There's not a lot of conservative outlets in the media generally, um, and certainly not here in New Jersey. Um, and I, you know, to use the Star Warsism. Forgive me for being a nerd here for a second. I think we kind of need that balance in the force. We need a conservative outlet that provides that conservative check on a mainstream media that skews hard left. So I I like providing that. So I don't know. If the field really stunk and I had somebody to take over Save Jersey and maybe I got a winning lottery ticket (laughs) – Never say never, but I I don't think it's going to be in the cards.
1: And and let me ask you, Matt Rooney, quickly, I mean, as a conservative, what are you looking for out of a a bigger than last year Republican minority in the New Jersey legislature?
5: Well, you know, I've often thought maybe it's because I've spent too much time watching the British House of Commons prime minister's questions. But I've always thought that the role of a minority party should be primarily to hold the majority party accountable. And too often, the primary goal of our minority party here in New Jersey has been to try to be as cordial as possible, make ruffle as few feathers as possible, and maybe get involved in some large legislation and make it a little less terrible. I think that's a horrible way to put forth a vision that's going to get people to vote for you and eventually give you the keys of the state house. So I'm looking for a party that, that's ready to fight. That doesn't mean that you're... Um, completely uh, uh, crass and um, don't have any logic to your statements that are just throwing things against the wall. But we want a real opposition. And look, you know, I think we learned from the Virginia and New Jersey elections this year, people are looking for a real alternative. They're upset about what's happening to their children, to their economy, what they're paying at the gas pump. If you give them that alternative, even some lifelong Democrats may be willing to give a Republican a chance. So that's that's what Steve Orho and John DeMeo and their caucuses need to do this year. They need to give people an opportunity to choose something different, and then the people may give them a chance.
1: And I have a quick question, Matt Rooney. Uh, it's, it's a South Jersey question. Should should Philly fans be pleased that Chris Christie's leading the search for a new Mets general manager?
5: Absolutely, yes. Chris Christie has a reverse Midas touch. I don't need to convince anybody listening to this of that. Um,
1: so or anybody on this conversation.
5: Anybody in this conversation. So, yes, anybody that, anybody that my uh, my Phillies or my Eagles are up against, hopefully
1: Chris Christie's involved in this election. Thank you. And Matt Rooney, editor of the political news site Save Jersey, host of the Matt Rooney Show on Philadelphia Talk Radio 1210 WPHT on Sunday nights from 8 to 10. It is always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Matt. And I'll be be back with the person who knows more about house races uh, than anyone else on the planet, David Wasserman. He is the senior editor of the nonpartisan Cook Political Report. We're going to talk about next year's congressional races in New Jersey. So everybody don't move. You're not going to want to miss this. This is David Wildstein, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC.
0: It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's editor-in-chief, David Wildstein.
1: There is nobody on earth who knows each of the 435 congressional districts uh, across the country than David Wasserman. Uh, He's, of course, a Jersey guy, senior editor of the nonpartisan Cook Political Report. David, welcome.
6: Hey, thanks much for having me back.
1: Well, thanks. It's, it's always a pleasure. And, and David, Republicans need to win five seats to take the majority. Is the road to Kevin McCarthy's spe- speakership paved through New Jersey?
6: Part of it is. Look, uh, Republicans are, are have got a few advantages in their corner. The first is history. The party out of power in the in the White House usually picks up, on average, twenty between twenty and thirty House seats. Uh, in the second year, in the midterm, and Republicans only need five. But more than that, if you were to superimpose the legislative uh, results that we saw in New Jersey and Virginia uh, this month on 2022's House races, then Republicans would pick up closer to 50 seats in the House.
1: And it looks to me, I mean, I haven't seen the final numbers yet. Jack Cittarelli won the races we're talking about—the third, the fifth, the seventh, the eleventh districts—how much of, how much of that was Joe Biden in national politics? How much of that is is local Jersey stuff?
6: Well, clearly Republicans are amped up to vote, and we saw disproportionate Republican turnout. That's pretty much a mirror image of what we saw in twenty seventeen, which was a prelude to the blue wave of twenty eighteen, when when Democrats uh, basically swept North Jersey. And picked up uh, the, the third district uh, as well. So it's it's, it's going to be a question of how the lines are drawn in New Jersey, as we both know. Uh, Democrats right now have a ten to two advantage, and that gives them a lot of exposure. And a lot of Democrats I'm talking to feel they'd be lucky to emerge from New Jersey in 2022 with a nine to three advantage, because if the district lines were left untouched. You could be looking at Republicans gaining back a lot of the seats that they lost, uh, probably the third district and potentially the seventh, fifth, 11th. So uh, Democrats could conceivably make a deal on the redistricting commission to shore up some of their incumbents in exchange for potentially giving away one district to Republicans. And Republicans want one district more than any other and that's the seventh currently held by tom malinowski clearly tom kane jr got to appoint a good chunk of the republicans on the commission
1: and you know one, one of the things i i think about i don't know if i'm right or wrong is is if hillary clinton had won in 2016 and 2018 was her midterm year we we wouldn't know anything about andy kim or tom malinowski or or, or mikey Cheryl. is that is that fair i mean is
6: Absolutely. You could be looking at a uh, Republican uh, supermajority in the Senate if you had had Hillary Clinton in the White House in 2018. So, look, anger is a stronger motivator than love in politics. And uh, what we've seen the past couple of years is pretty symmetrical in terms of the energy during the during the Trump years on the Democratic side and the energy we're seeing on the Republican side right now. And we're in an era of very high turnout
1: and I'm speaking with David Wasserman senior editor of the nonpartisan Cook Political Report monitors house races across the country and I mean the 7th district in central jersey that's that's your home district Re- Republican's think Tom Malinowski as is, you is said top target we don't know what these districts are going to look like but but do you you see Malinowski as as the weakest of the New Jersey uh, delegation I do in
6: part because it was the closest house race result in the state Last year, so it's on the top of Republicans' list. Not only for that reason, but also Tom Kane uh, is is running again. Uh, He and John Bramnick, his close ally, got to appoint four of the six uh, Republican commissioners on the redistricting commission. So, uh, it's the commission. Typically, when redistricting is done in New Jersey, is is more uh, driven by incumbent considerations than. Uh, the necessarily pure, pure partisan considerations. And Tom Malinowski does not have the kinds of, of, of ties to the inside players on the Democratic side of the commission that some other incumbents do. So he could be in, in jeopardy.
1: And how frightened should Andy Kim be after seeing Cittarelli's numbers in Ocean County, Republicans winning a state Senate seat in Burlington?
6: Yeah, you know, if the election for Congress were held... Next week, you could be looking at Republicans claiming the third district by quite a big margin, given Cittarelli's advantage there and the fact that Republicans already have a a potentially strong recruit in that race uh, in in Robert Healy. So it's it's a seat that Democrats are probably going to need to negotiate to shore up uh, by purging a lot of Ocean County and perhaps adding some of. Uh, Middlesex or, or Monmouth to try and help Andy Kim if he wants to hold that seat.
1: And this, this seems like a great contrast. I mean, Bob Healy is, I mean, he's a 38-year-old, uh, I mean, he's heavily tattooed, former lead singer in a punk rock band, but now he, he runs his family yacht manufacturing business. I think it's 1,600 employees in Ocean County. And and Andy Kim, really straight-laced, is. are there many house races in the country where, where the contrast between the two is is as interesting as this?
6: <laughs> well, you know, I, I go back a couple of years ago, there was a race between uh, a a woman who uh, was the lead philanthropist for the Greensboro Performing Arts Center and then a gun shop owner uh, in, in uh, North Carolina. I think that was the biggest culture clash of two candidates who I've interviewed. But this would rival it. <laughs>
1: And I'm speaking with David Wasserman, senior editor of the nonpartisan Cook Political Report. Uh, What about Josh Gottheimer and Mikey Sherrill in North Jersey? Are are they how concerned should they be right now?
6: Well, clearly, they're not in the same category of vulnerability as as Kim and Malinowski. They won by bigger margins in, in 2020. And so they've got more votes to spare. That said, you know, in in this political environment, even they could be at risk. And so Part of the rationale for Democrats uh, in in uh, you know making Malinowski's district a little bit more Republican could be to help Gottheimer and Sherrill get on higher ground. It, it would be easy for Democrats to, for example, move Sussex and, and Warren into the seventh district uh, and and uh, essentially say, you know, we'll we'll hold on to the 5th and ele- and 11th even if we don't have as tight a grip on the 7th as a way of cutting our losses.
1: I mean Tom Kane could wind up with a district that's where, where where the Republicans are going to win with or John Eisman could wind up with I mean 65 70% of the vote but the other two the other two would have an easier time.
6: That's right. So, you know, this is all about trade-offs and redistricting is a game of margins. That's what makes this cycle uniquely interesting is is that so much of the outcome next November will be determined by the decisions as to where to carve these lines in the next few months.
1: We'll know that soon. And, and, and David Wasserman, one question I have to ask is, is, I mean, in the New Jersey governor's race, the pollsters got it wrong. I mean, Patrick Murray, who I think is an outstanding pollster, he's, he's wondering about the future of political polling. Uh, when you rate House districts for next year, uh Are you you thinking about how these polls might affect your decision?
6: The House race polls in 2020 were also pretty wrong. Uh, Both parties were were conducting internal polling that suggested Democrats would take up seats in the House in 2020. Republicans ended up gaining a dozen. So clearly in in the Trump era, I think Trump has confounded uh, the institution of polling because there is such a um, a, a strong correlation between distrust of institutions, support for Trump, and unwillingness to take a survey. So we have to get more innovative. I, I I think we're in a polling power outage at the moment where we're not yet able to rely on purely internet-based polling, but we're less able to rely on traditional telephone and cell phone methods than uh, than ever. And it's a real problem that only two or three percent of people are agreeing to take the poll. We can't uh, rely on them to accurately model the other 97 or 98 percent attitudes
1: and David Wasserman. Th- thank you. I mean always for coming on you are you are clearly one of the smartest people uh, That I know when it comes to house races and, and and I have known you since you were a teenager drawing congressional maps in New Jersey 20 years ago So I, I appreciate I appreciate your close attention to the Garden State
6: Well, I, I owe a lot of it to you David. So thank you for your mentorship
1: Well, thank you. And I I hope you'll come back on several times between now and Election Day. Oh, I will. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and we'll be back next week with more about New Jersey politics.